0: In the far-flung future, the Disenfranchised Podcast comes to you to show you how you, too, can teach genocide to children in just five easy steps. Uh, this is the Disenfranchised Podcast, where that podcast all about those franchises of one, those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy, and uh, joining me, as always, uh, is is, is my, my towering, calloused co-host, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett. Hey Steven. Hey, um, uh, ease, ease up on those kids, man. They're they're just kids.
1: Look, they need to know what the real world is like. Do they know this early? Yes, they do, because very fabric of humanity depends on it.
0: Probably, maybe I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know something something about this movie. So this we we are covering our very first um, listener request episode. Um, this one was requested to us by uh listener, David, and, uh, he, he requested this some months back and we were finally able to make it work in our schedule. So here we are, uh, talking about what movie, Brett? We are talking about the 2013 film starring Harrison
1: Ford, who may have given up Ender's Game.
0: (laughs) Oh no, he's definitely given up, but yes, we are talking about 2013's Ender's Game, uh, Directed by Gavin Hood and and written also by Gavin Hood, uh, starring Asa Butterfield, the aforementioned Harrison Ford, Haley Steinfeld, Abigail Breslin, Ben Kingsley, Viola Davis, and uh, a sea of child actors, uh, each more childlike than the last. But yeah, so uh, that's this and and the director apparently is a cameo as a CGI giant is a thing that I just read a second ago and now I can't unread. So yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, he's the he's the giant that gets uh, gets his eye eaten by a by a tiny little mouse.
1: Yeah. That's
0: cool. After poisoning the, it twice.
1: After in the very weird CGI sequences.
0: Yeah. Uh yeah, those are weird. Those are real weird. Anyway, um this was requested uh by uh by David and so we are very happy to um to to do this, do this episode for, him. we had been promising for, uh, the better half of our first year. Hey, if you email us and let us know a movie you want us to cover, we will cover it on the podcast. And, and David was one who reached out and said, Hey, um, do Ender's game. And we said, okay, so this is us. This is us talking about Ender's game. Um, a movie based on a very popular series of science fiction novels from the eighties, Written by um one Orson Scott card uh Brett, what is your familiarity with Ender's game with the novel with this property what what degree of familiarity did you have going into this movie uh
1: the only familiarity I had was that this was Ender's game is not only popular it's become like required reading in schools uh, for as you know as far back as uh, but like 1998. Okay. 99 middle school high school i forget when i read the book but uh it's definitely one of those situations where sure i've read this book
0: mm-hmm. but
1: i haven't reread it since then so it might as well be like i never read it at all sure and also as, as we were discussing uh before uh the recording uh you know even if i had read it my opinion of it might have changed by now
0: right uh, you know, because uh, maybe maybe your opinion on Orson Scott Card as a person has probably changed since then as well.
1: Oh, that has definitely happened. Because uh, <laughs> my man is not the greatest person in the world. Uh, no. So
0: I uh, I was reading a an interview that he did with Wired magazine in front of this movie as as kind of a way to um uh, to promote it. And uh, they refer to him as a lifelong Mormon and hyperbolic political columnist, which seems like the nicest way to say that his his work is real, real problematic.
1: Uh, yeah, that's the real politically correct way to say that he's a piece of shit. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the very next part of that sentence is Card has written religio-political essays that at times suggest things like, say, overthrowing the U.S. government, which reads a lot differently in 2021 than it did in 2013 after you know people yeah, have it really attempted does. to overthrow the government yeah weird yeah that's a big yikes yeah it's a big damn yikes um but yeah orson scott card um no thank you um any chance i probably had of reading ender's game went out the window there um and then his uh he issued a, apparently issued a statement because this interviewer does attempt to ask him about his views on gay marriage, which at the time in 2013 were fairly controversial, uh, to which he said, I issued a statement. I don't have anything else to say. And we're kind of like, you're not really helping yourself or the movie here, buddy.
1: No, he had an opportunity to maybe uh, save some face there and just completely refused to. So it makes him even worse.
0: Yeah. But you've got to address it. There's a controversy around your views, said the interviewer. I've issued an official statement. That's really all I have to say about it. Oof.
1: Yeah, just big, big damn move.
0: And then he and then he goes on to talk about the alien nature of being a Mormon, which okay, sure,
1: <laughs> okay, buddy. All right, go, go off. I guess you're a white Mormon. You are not alienated. Shut the hell
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Ender's Game is, uh, for, and and again, this this movie is my, I wouldn't say it's my first exposure to Ender's Game. I used to work in a bookstore, uh, where the entire Ender's Game series was a very popular. Uh, was very popular amongst our patrons, but it was never one that I had read, um, never one that I really cared much to read. Um, but it seems like it was very heavily influenced by a lot of popular science fiction of the day and also fairly influential on a lot of the types of stories that would come afterwards. Um, I don't think we would have Harry Potter without Ender's Game. Um, it, at least it seems to me, at least based on what I'm watching. Um, but you can see how the book would borrow things from a lot of other sci-fi from Dune to some degree, um, even from you know the works of X-Men and other things. Um, he's, he's kind of borrowing, picking references, Starship Troopers. There's some some elements of that in there as well. And then what he comes up with is so popular or, or, or so uh, well received that it begins to influence the next stage of culture as well, which I find really fascinating.
1: Yeah. Cause I, I was, I was actually curious to the starship troopers point. I was curious, which came out first because these almost seem like the same story ish, but mm-hmm. like one is decidedly anti-war and the other one is decidedly hurrah, hurrah, all the war.
0: I mean, if you read the book, yes. If you watch the movie Starship Troopers, it actually, I think, has more in this movie has more in common with that movie than it. Does well, yeah, with be, material. But
1: because yeah. the movie is satire. Uh, yeah,
0: which
1: because, is hilarious. I love the movie. hate the book. I tried to read the book and I was like, wait a minute. These are nothing to like. Oh, right. I figured out that the movie is actually satire.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the movie is is making fun of these ideas that Robert Heinlein really believes.
1: Yeah which I don't know. Heinlein was probably dead by then. Otherwise I would have liked to yeah. have known
0: what he thought of that movie. It oh no. Been he hilarious. Probably, probably hated it. Uh, Orson Scott card probably also hated it. Um, but the, the, you know, the idea that um, we could be the bad guys and that the entire movie is, is poised to have us rooting for the bad guys until the very end when we realize, Oh shit, we've been rooting for the bad guys and they are us the whole time. Um, I, I mean, that's, that's freaking makes for a freaking good movie in my opinion. Um, yeah. Yeah. That movie, however, got sequels. This movie did not, uh, and we are here to talk about Ender's Game. Although I, I have a feeling we'll we'll be getting back to Starship Troopers because that movie's great, and again, there's there's some similarities that cannot be ignored. So
1: Indeed. we'll probably
0: be touching on a lot of those as we go. Um, but for now, before we get into talking about this movie, 2013's Ender's Game, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the plot. Of the movie Ender's Game. Uh, and so to do that, we're going to call up our good friend, The Coin of Justice, to do the plot in 60 seconds. Uh, for those of you just joining us to get our hot, hot takes on Ender's Game, um, the plot in 60 is when we flip the coin of justice, who will determine whether Brett or I will recount the plot of the film being discussed, in this case, 2013's Ender's Game, in 60 seconds or less, or your podcast is free. So, Brett, go ahead and call it in the air. Heads. Heads. <sighs> and it is heads, as it always ever is. It's kind
1: of insane. Like the the only the, I kind of hate that the the only time that it's it it decided to like screw me, we'll say, was on Ghostbusters. Like it knew. I'm
0: gonna download a new coin flip app. Is what
1: I'm gonna do. I mean, it, well, well. Here's the thing when when I ever whenever I called tails, it always seemed to be a little bit more balanced. But
0: I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I don't know, know. Man. All I know is I, uh, I'm getting hosed and I don't like it.
1: <laughs> no, it's really not fair to you. If I'm being honest, um, do, do I enjoy it? Yes, but sure. Fair
0: to you. No, no. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about Ender's game, Brett. If you'll get 60 seconds on the clock, I guess I'll, I'll queue up to talk, uh, to talk Ender's game a little bit. Absolutely.
1: All right. Whenever you're ready, sir.
0: All right. Let me know when to go. Your time starts now. Uh, Ender is a a smart kid who is – um, called up to fight in a, a war. He's recruited into something called Battle School uh, where he uh, is being trained to basically fight wars and uh, some of the kids don't like him. Uh, they're kind of poised not to like him because his commander kind of throws him under the bus right away and tells everyone he's smarter than them but he is in fact smarter than them and he ends up uh, pretty much making them all into laughing stocks. He gets called up to something called Command School eventually. Uh, really loves his sister. Uh, there's a video seconds. game with a giant in it and a poison mouse and he the mouse Jumps in, he makes the mouse jump in the giant's eye, which Viola Davis has never seen before. Harrison Ford's really grouchy. He goes to command school and uh, he meets this guy who was supposed to have sacrificed himself to beat the aliens many years ago. Um, but instead, Ender uh, fights these games with his friends from battle school. 10 seconds. And it turns out that they're actually real and he's just committed genocide against an entire planet. So he gets promoted to admiral and pretty much just pieces out with a egg from the queen of the alien species he just wiped out. And that's the time. Well done, man. Booyah Kasha. Well done. I just had to get in that Harrison Ford was really grumpy this whole movie because that's pretty much Harrison Ford's zone these days.
1: Yeah. I mean, because he's Harrison Ford, so it wasn't a bad performance. But at the same time, he, he just he looks tired. <laughs> he does. He just, he just looks like he doesn't want to be there. But
0: honestly, so I'm looking over his filmography right now. And grumpy Harrison Ford has pretty much been a thing since I would say the mid to late 90s. As to when he stopped caring in general, I can put this I can put it in one of two movies. It is either 1995 Sabrina, where he just stops caring, stops being, you know, stops trying or it's 2002's K-19 The Widowmaker. So it's somewhere in those seven years he just quits. Now, the interim years are interesting in their own right, because you've got the Devil's Own, which was really his first flop after a run of successes in the 90s. You've got Air Force One, a return to form, which a lot of people really love. Uh, You've got Six Days, Seven Nights, which was another dud. Random Hearts, a third dud. And then What Lies Beneath, which was, I would say... I mean, it's Rob, it's Robert Zemeckis shortly after Forrest Gump. So there's some interesting things about that movie. Literally, that's the movie that Zemeckis makes during his break in the middle of Castaway for for Tom Hanks to lose weight and grow a beard. Um, he's like, ah, oh, well, it's, you know, I guess I'll make a movie with, uh, you know, with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and, and Harrison Ford, I guess. And so he makes What Lies Beneath, which is, is is a pretty good movie. I wouldn't say it's a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination. But K-19, after that, you've got hollywood homicide firewall i mean hollywood homicide which leads to like a massive break like he takes like a two-year break in between or three-year break in between that and firewall india another two years in between indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull and at that point we pretty much just have modern day grumpy cash in get the check harrison ford like after that, it's crossing over. It's extraordinary measures. It's morning glory. It's a movie we'll talk about on this podcast one day, Cowboys and Aliens. Um, like, it. it's just all of that. Just kind of him going, I don't know. I'm Harrison Ford. I guess I'll just, you know, show up and do something. Do my thing. Get really angry. Point a lot. And he there's some serious Harrison Ford pointing in the later part of this movie. Um, <laughs> there There is. Now that you mentioned that, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I noticed he's he's sitting there yelling at Ender after he's, you know, just completely wiped out an entire species of of, of life. And he's, he's doing all sorts of emphatic pointing as he's talking about the survival of the human race. And, you know, it's just. Yeah, I mean, he's he's he has since Indiana Jones decided to cash in on Star Wars, um, Blade Runner and uh, and then Star Wars again. So I mean, he's just pretty much—he shows up in Expendables three. At this point, he's just doing paycheck movies. But I, I would say it's either Sabrina was maybe the last time he really tried, and then he just completely gives up after, after What Lies Beneath. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Uh, I don't know.
1: It's tough to say, but you know, at the same time, I—I I, I wonder if he almost has a—I don't want to say reputation, but like maybe just. Maybe, because I've heard him in interviews where he seems like a like like a likable guy. Mm -hmm. You just have to like get to know him, I guess. He's a
0: grump, like he's a curmudgeon.
1: He is, and I think that reputation precedes him sometimes, Mm -hmm. and so we're perceiving him as being tired and not really wanting to be there anymore. But you know, maybe he's not. Maybe that's just where he's at in his life right now. I don't want. I want to give Harrison Ford the benefit of the doubt. Sure, because I have a lot of. Respect for him and what he did for, you know, most of my childhood. So.
0: I mean, that's, and that's not to say that, you know, I, I, I just, I am not trying to cast. I'm I am not trying to cast aspersions on Harrison Ford. I love, again, the man was a very indelible part of our childhood. His, his eighties, nineties run is unimpeachable. Like l- look at this run starting in 1980. You have empire strikes back the next year. Raiders of the Lost Ark. The year after that, Blade Runner. The year after that, Return of the Jedi. The year after that, Temple of Doom. The year after that, Witness. He does Mosquito Coast after, mm, okay. 2 years after that, he does Frantic and Working Girl. 89 is The Last Crusade. 90 Presumed Innocent. 91 Regarding Henry. Patriot Games in 92 where he kicks off his his part in the Jack Ryan franchise. Uh Fugitive 93. Clear and Present Danger, 94, and then Sabrina in 95. Like, that's a 15-year run of awesome. Almost all hits, almost no misses. Like, again, give me another actor that's had quite that unimpeachable a run for that long. Um, It's it's almost unheard of. So, again, I'm not casting any aspersions on Harrison Ford. If he is just a a, a perennial grump, he's earned the right to be a perennial grump um is is what i'm saying but you know he he is he doesn't need the money but i think he likes the money if if i'm being real honest like i mean he's probably collecting royalty checks like gangbusters off of all those other films and then you know if he does something now it's just money in the bank for him
1: yeah i I think he just he falls into the uh bill murray camp of like I will begrudgingly do this nostalgia property if you pay me enough money. But yeah, you know, otherwise, no,
0: I don't want to. But at the same time, you still get Bill Murray performances where he's actually trying to do something like he doesn't just kind of like this feels very much like he's cashing a paycheck. Um, The fact that he has to say uh, (laughs) several times the name Mazer Rackham. Just it feels like every time he says it, like he dies a little bit inside, just a little bit, just a little bit. But you're like, yeah, Mazer Rackham. And you're like, oh, Harrison, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm I'm so sorry they're making you say these these terrible, terrible words. I mean, look, he's been doing it for years. He's used to it. I mean, sure. I mean, what, did, what did he famously say to to, uh, to George Lucas? You can write this shit, George, but you sure can't say it. Um
1: <laughs> I mean that's accurate. He's it, not wrong.
0: No, I mean George Lucas not not good at what we call dialogue or things that human beings say and do. Um you know, it's very clear his technology that's kind of where his love of filmmaking was and and has been historically. So and that's fine.
1: Yeah, you know, he's not very good at making up names for anything.
0: Well, and I was watching this and like within 10 minutes I was like you can tell that all of these names came from a novel because novels historically, because novelists for whatever reason, cannot name a character, something very simple because it's not interesting. So you're like, well, maybe I can infuse my character with a little more, make them a little more interesting by giving them an interesting sounding name. But you've got like Ender Wiggin and James Dapp. And was the, there's a dude in this movie named Bonzo. There is a character in this movie named Bonzo Madrid, um, Bean, Mazer Rackham, uh, Petra Arcanian, Hiram Graf. And I'm just sitting there the whole time going like, what, Valentine Wigan?" I'm like, what the hell are these names? Bean, kid named Bean, Dink Meeker.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bean is a nickname, but it's, you know, it's like anything else. It just, it's, it becomes his name, even I mean, though it's so not is, actually
0: his name. So is Ender. I, w- I would say most of these characters are probably most of the, at least the the younger characters, the child actors in this movie are referred to by nicknames of some kind.
1: Well, Ender is his middle name from what I understand. And he just goes by his middle name.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. I always thought it was like, that was his nickname, but like everyone just kind of called him that.
1: Uh, no, because the quote at the beginning uh, that they show, which is weird that they show a quote from the main character. I expected that to be, you know, a quote from, some historical figure like it most, most of the time is um but but it's it's a e wigan
0: okay um, i guess i didn't realize that that's who that was supposed to be quoting interesting
1: well and, and i didn't either until he introduces himself like the first time he talks and introduces himself in the movie he has a first name but after that they only ever call him ender
0: yeah it's andrew it's andrew right andrew ender wiggum which again that name right <sighs> Andrew Ender Wiggin. Good heavens!
1: Which, to your point, it's not really clear if that actually is his middle name or if it is a nickname. Because uh, the subtitles didn't put quotes around it, so right. I thought it was a middle name, but same. it also sounds like a nickname. Yeah, so I I don't know.
0: Yeah, same. Um, yeah, it it mm, okay. Um, but yeah, it was just the names in this. I'm like, how how are you people saying these names with a straight face? Like that's acting, is what that is. Uh, that you can say you can call a character Ender for the entire runtime of a movie and not just like go. Oh, I'm sorry, this is a little too ridiculous. <laughs> You're called Ender. Like, what the hell?
1: Yeah, but like like you said, like it's a novel. That's it, they do that shit all the time.
0: Yeah, was it the uh, the this had Oscar buzz podcast has a running gag about yeah you can tell this movie was based on a book because the character names are terrible. And I'm like, yeah, you get that. Yeah,
1: because you know, I don't know. You're right. You know, naming a main character, John Smith, not really memorable, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think you can find a middle ground without going completely ridiculous. But when you get into the sci-fi fantasy genres, they sort of, for some reason, crank it up to 11.
0: They really do. And this is, this is very much a a classic hard sci-fi kind of movie. And, and, you know, it, it it shows it it does it 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 does all the things that you would expect from a, a movie in this genre for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I w- I would agree.
0: Um, so yeah, I just you know again the name the names r- ridiculous. What were we talking about for the names? We were on another point. Oh, Harrison Ford dying a little inside every time he has to say Maisa Rackham. <laughs> That's what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I don't know. I th- I think at this point Harrison Ford and he, most of his scenes are with Viola Davis who can keep up with him. So maybe she's pushing him a little harder because he does seem like he's trying a little bit in this movie. Not a lot, but, you know, he's he's giving some. I think he's giving more effort in his scenes with Viola Davis than he is in his scenes with the kids. I will say that.
1: Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, that does seem to come across. Yeah. I wonder why that is.
0: Uh, yeah. Maybe Harrison Ford doesn't really like kids. I don't know. Again, not not trying to cast aspersions on Harrison Ford, but you know, guy just seems gr- like he has no patience for anything anymore.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that does come across. Yes.
0: So I'm um, again, I'm not, I'm not attempting to to be disrespectful to this man, but again, he's he's he can retire, and I think we might miss him a little bit, but we we mostly say, you know what, you've earned it, you deserve it, you know, rest, hang out on your ranch with Calista Flockhart, and just be happy.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: you you had a good run, man. You know? And you're married to Allie McBeal. Like you can stay home; it's fine.
1: Yeah, it's okay.
0: You you got Ally waiting for you at home. Maybe he's not good with money, and he just needs a paycheck. Who knows? Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, he's he's you know he's he's at least uh, publicly that we know have crashed at least one or two planes. So you know maybe he's got to buy a new jet. Maybe he does. Maybe yeah. But I don't again,
1: know. we're not here to cast aspersions. No,
0: no, we're not. We're not. i I'm, I'm just hey, this is a matter of public record. I'm just saying. But yeah, uh, Harrison Ford's in this movie. Um, uh, this movie cast kind of stacked. Um, what did you think of Asa Butterfield as Ender Wiggin?
1: I liked that. I liked his performance. I like how he plays So one thing I do know about the novel compared to the movie is mm-hmm. that Ender is he's not exactly more ruthless. He has compassion in the book, but they definitely make him more likable in the movie. Um because Ender in the book, if I remember correctly, is 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 definitely more ruthless in terms of he sets out to conquer whatever is put in front of him mm-hmm. in one way or another, by any means necessary, usually. Right. Um, which makes him kind of a dick in the book. Um, but in the movies, you know, he's very likable. And he... I think he does he does a good job of balancing, you know, being this prodigy kid potentially on the spectrum mm-hmm. while also being a likable, interesting character. It's not, they don't, they don't lean into what they could have leaned into. Sure. And I, I, I really appreciated that about his performance and just the writing in general.
0: Well, I have uh, this, uh interview that i read with Orson Scott Card he mentions that the book is is pretty much unadaptable because the whole thing is takes place in Ender's head um not that everything's only happening in his head but it's his he's the point of view character and it's all kind of his point of view well that's that's
1: always been a thing about first person books adapted to film like it's it's always really hard to do
0: but you know most of your main characters don't come off as sociopaths if you you know, remove that interiority, which I think Ender probably would have because he's just kind of he would have just kind of come off as violent if the, he hadn't had the opportunity to kind of externalize the things that he's thinking. And so you have to, like, give Bean a little more prominence. You have to give uh I think Gavin Hood was the one that decided to make Petra a more prominent character and kind of make her um Ender second. Because I think I read in the book that it was supposed to be Bean. Um, But he kind of brings her forward and gives him other people that he can communicate with so that it doesn't seem like he's, you know, a raging lunatic.
1: Yeah. And also, I guess, you know, you got to bring Petra forward. So he has maybe a love interest because there's always got to be a love
0: interest. Right. And that was something that that Orson Scott Card was was happy about. And one reason why he's like he was very adamant that these are children um, because he didn't want them to try to force that. But you can see how they probably would have explored that in a sequel. Um, had it ever come, they would have probably explored the the romantic interest between those two characters going forward.
1: But yeah, so it, it's... I think I think it, it, it's. you can compare this to Hunger Games in mm-hmm. terms of books that were adapted from a first-person first, first narrative. And mm-hmm. you can see how, even though Hunger Games got sequels... I think this movie does it better.
0: Well, I think if this movie had been made at the height of the popularity of these books, it probably would have gotten the sequels. But as it stands, it came out uh, almost 30 years after the original, like 28 or something years after the original. So um, in terms of striking why the iron's hot, we're a little late to be doing that, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point that I hadn't thought of. Uh, Because, yeah, I mean, maybe – most of the success of the hunger games was just its popularity. Yeah. Um, But regardless, you know, I think this is a better adaptation than hunger games was, but maybe that's just me. That's a, that's a hot take. That might be a hot take.
0: Sure. I mean, here's the thing. I, I get diminishing returns when I return to the hunger games movies. Um, We watched uh, my wife and I watched them. Oh, probably about a month or so ago. And I was just kind of like, eh, and I had never seen the, the the last one, the fourth movie, which was based on the second half of the third book. Um, I had never seen that movie before, and I was kind of lukewarm on the whole thing. Like, And again, it's that thing where you split what is one story into two pieces, and so what you have are two overly long halves of one story, um, which does not a good movie make. Um, and I think there are ways to do that well. I think the Harry Potter books – The Harry Potter example is probably one of the more successful ones. We'll see what happens with part two. But Dune part one worked gangbusters on me. um, And that's one where they literally just ripped the book in half. And we're like, okay, we're going to do all the stuff before he goes into the desert in part one. And then all the stuff after he goes into the desert in part two. Which uh, seems like as good a division of that story as any. But, uh, But for his part, I think Asa Butterfield is doing good work. And I, well, what what I wanted to say is is I think with regard to the Hunger Games movies is you're missing a lot. Uh, because again, those books are first person narratives. Uh, they don't do a good job of external externalizing Katniss's inner monologue to the extent that they could, and so she becomes as the books as the films go on much colder and more distant. And like she's our she's our entry character. We need to be on her side. And the further we get into those films, the less we're on our side because she becomes more interior as those books go on. But there's no real way for her to externalize those thoughts on screen, which makes for a really um, boring movie, I guess I will say.
1: So I know I actually never saw the second part of uh, the end of the Hunger Games movies. You're not missing much. That's and that's what I've heard, and that's why I haven't gone back and watched him.
0: You know uh, what you are missing, though, Mahershala Ali. I will say, I'd love Mahershala Ali, and he is—he's pretty. I mean, he—he doesn't have much to do because it's like right before he hits, but he's good in that. He's—he's he's doing some good stuff. Mahershala <laughs> Ali, when's he bad? It, it, exactly.
1: That's what I was about to say. Like, yeah. when is he ever doing a bad thing? Uh, he's, he's great.
0: One uh, of my favorite parts of uh, Predators as well. Yeah. A, a movie we'll cover on this podcast one day, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you're going to insist that we cover that at some point.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's up there. It's, it's probably my second favorite predator movie.
0: Um, Uh, I mean, probably my default. Yeah. Behind the first one. Obviously, Um, obviously.
1: But yeah, so like, I, even though this movie is, it really falls into the category of, yeah, that's a movie. All right. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yep. That's what
1: I just watched. (laughs) Or it's like, it's not good and it's not bad. It's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still what I feel like is a good enough adaptation that I, I wish that we had gotten the sequels, even though from what I've given to understand, the sequels to the book aren't great either.
0: Uh, well, I mean, I think this by the second book. The main character is 35 years old and that's but it takes place like decades later. But it's because he's been hurtling through space um, at light speeds, that he's now thirty-five, and everyone on Earth, like his sister and his brother, are in their seventies.
1: Okay, yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, but but that's also what the book does, if I recall. Like it's uh, we we first meet Ender at six, mm-hmm. and then you see him grow up, and we. There's a lot of fluff, which is why I think this is still a good adaptation. There's a lot of fluff in the book, mm-hmm. like. You know, you're following through the different levels of school instead of just like here's here's this one, and then here's this one, and then here's this one, and even like practicing for the the, the, the danger room, um, the, the battle room, battle room. Practicing I can the- I can
0: see why you would be confused, but yes, it is the battle room.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it is the rooms. The rooms where battles and danger are happening. Um, <laughs> but then there's battles like are of- by their nature dangerous. Indeed but there's like the the whole practicing for the battle room is like, there's tons of that Mm -hmm. that they cut out for the movie. Uh, So really at the core, I love this as an adaptation uh, because of what they did. And, but maybe we don't need a sequel. Maybe like, sure. There, there were, there were books that could be made into sequels to this movie.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, I mean, you can tell it. they
0: want to make one because if that ending is not a sequel hook, I don't know what is. You
1: no, know, it absolutely is. Yeah, uh,
0: I mean, maybe they're just waiting for Ace of Butterfield to turn thirty-five, and then they'll do the sequel.
1: Sure, that's possible. And hey, if they do, we'll talk about it.
0: Hey, yeah, we have kind of locked ourselves in at this point,
1: but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. I, nobody's really uh, chomping at the bit for a Ender's
0: Game sequel. No. So one thing I will say, um, Asa Butterfield was so he got, I would say, probably his first big break movie is probably The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. Um, And then he's in a movie we will probably cover on this podcast one day. uh, The Wolfman, the 2010 Benicio del Toro Wolfman, where he plays young Ben. And then he's in Nanny McPhee Returns, also in 2010. And then the next year, he's in the Academy Award-nominated Hugo as Hugo Cabret. um, And then does this movie on the back of that. Shortly after this, he was on the very, very short list to play Spider-Man in the MCU when they brought – Uh, Spider-Man in for Civil War I think it was between him and Tom Holland if my memory serves me correctly that's Um, interesting yeah so he was like they brought the two of them in to do a um, to do a screen test with Robert Downey Jr. Tom Holland ended up winning the role and so Asa Butterfield went on to do another movie we could probably cover on this podcast one day Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children
1: which I enjoy actually
0: Sure, I mean it's you. You are much more in the Tim Burton vein, uh, than than I. I've never seen it. I stopped watching Tim Burton movies a little while ago. But that is, I mean that that's that's Tim Burton. That's that's in your wheelhouse, baby.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. So, so I mean,
0: and we'll, we'll undoubtedly cover that one as well. So, you know, um, but I, I you, and. This this story, I don't know if it's responsible for it. It's probably not, but it follows what I would call the modern structure of the young adult chosen one narrative, where you've got this one character who's very super special and can do things that no one else can do.
1: This can't be the first instance of that,
0: right? That's I that's what I'm saying. Like I can't I can't imagine that it is, but it definitely helps, I think, cement the template for those stories going forward. Like I mean, you, you, you can put it next to Harry Potter as almost a one for one. Like you've got this very special person who's very special, who gets taken away from his family to go to this, this school where he will learn to be even better at this thing. He's already supposed to be very great at and demonstrates his intense aptitude there. Um, and then there's this, this large arena type area where they can demonstrate their aptitude at how great they are at these things they're supposed to be very great at, um, by playing games um there's you you cast um and then of course for the the movie side of things you cast prominent actors in as as the instructors at this institution um with a mind to bringing them back in sequels potentially um like it's it's you can tell they're like this could be our next this could be our harry potter um when when they're when they're putting this thing into into development like you can almost see this is the thing they're wanting to do
1: which I get that but at the, at the same time why are they trying to do that with a book that is I don't want to say nobody cares about anymore but that sure. like is not it's not a Harry Potter series it's not a Hunger Games it's not that level of popular it's it not a had, highlight
0: it had been at one time is the thing and well, I mean sure this, this is more sure I, and no, and I, and again, I think that's the reason why this thing doesn't get the sequels that it's clearly aiming for. But this is also, if I'm not mistaken, and let me let me do a quick search here just to make sure that I'm not wrong about this. So yes, this is so this is distributed by Lionsgate, and this is Lionsgate. Coming off of, if I'm not mistaken, or getting right around the end of, yes, the year after Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2, this comes out. So they've just wrapped their incredibly, you know, popular and profitable teen saga. And, okay, now what's the next one we're going to do? Um, and so they go for, apparently, they they shoot for this is, is where they go next. And this ends up not being, I think, as popular as they wanted it to be. Uh, so they go in next for Divergent, which comes out the very next year. And they only end up releasing three of those uh, movies. They had a couple more planned, but uh, those didn't go anywhere. So you can see that they're, they're still trying to kind of capitalize on the, the YA boom and its popularity by grabbing another, what is ostensibly a YA, YA title from a bygone era probably not understanding that it's fallen out of popularity and that the reason that these films harry potter hunger games um twilight do so well is because these books are in the zeitgeist right now it's just kind of maybe some you know what i liked when i was a teenager was ender's game let's see if we can adapt that and that one had also been in development hell for the better part of 30 years too like Orson Scott Card had been writing those scripts and trying to get that movie made for a while and i think he think he i think he said in this interview that i read that he did it like six different takes at the, passes at the script before finally coming to the one that worked which is the one where it gives a chance for him to kind of externalize his interior monologue a little more
1: i didn't know it had been in development for so long although that makes sense i mean it's it's an old it's an old enough and popular enough book that yeah it's probably been trying to be made for a long time
0: yeah i mean you 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 can get you can see the the wheels turning like you can see the why behind this movie i just i i ultimately it's not good enough to warrant the sequels that they were clearly hoping for but it's really not bad enough to be kind of this like mo much mocked and much maligned object it's just kind of fine like it's, it's just kind of right somewhere right there in the middle um and i would i would probably say the same about like a movie like the 2016 ghostbusters too it's not great enough to be like haha take that people who didn't want this movie to be made and it's not bad enough to be like well we're clearly you know this is just throw it out altogether and never talk about it again so i mean you've got kind of this weird balance that this movie kind of strikes where it's it's just it's just fine like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not really super positive on it, but I'm also not really super negative about it. I'm just kind of like, this is, is this is right. It's, it's just a straight pitch down the middle.
1: Yeah. Which I seem to recall when the movie came out, there was a lot of, we'll say clapback from, from fans of the book that it was, mm-hmm. uh, that they didn't like the adaptation that they, they said it was too different and they changed too much. So, which
0: is, I mean, and, and that's, that defeats the purpose of adaptation,
1: Oh yeah, no, I completely agree. But you know, as we know about fans, that if you don't give me a one-to-one representation of the thing I love, I will hate it. Correct. So that's normal. That yeah, tracks. that's
0: that's that is just right on par with uh, everything that we've learned about shitty fanboys and or just shitty fans in general. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, say it's mostly a male problem, although it clearly is mostly a male problem. But you know, uh, you know, women can be shitty fans too. I'm not going to yeah. discriminate. Yeah.
1: No. No. I, I'm. I'm sure there are shitty female fans uh, out there. I can't personally say I've seen one, but I'm I, sure yeah, they I,
0: exist. I don't know any of them, but I mean it seems seems kind of a weird impossibility if there wouldn't be one.
1: Yeah. They're just, you know, they're a shitty fan unicorn.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, at the end of the day, I think this movie is is fine. Um, what what do we think of Ben Kingsley in this movie? This is the second Ben Kingsley film that we've covered on this podcast. Do you remember the first, Brett? I'll give you a hint. He played a villain, and it's been almost a year since we covered it on this podcast.
1: I mean, he's pretty universally playing a villain most of the time anymore.
0: That's uh, uh, yeah, true. It might not narrow it down for you. It would have come no. out just a few years before this movie. We did it during our very or I wouldn't say our very first, our second ever theme month.
1: Uh, Would that be Disney plus December?
0: That would be Disney plus December was the, I believe second film we covered in Disney plus December.
1: Uh, What did we do there? We did, uh, we did another uh, chosen one kid led YA adaptation. We did, Uh, but he wasn't in that. No, um, he wasn't in Nutcracker in the Four Realms. He was not trying to remember what the other two were. Was Rocketeer one of the ones we did for Disney?
0: Rocketeer Plus was one of the ones. Yeah, we did that either. We actually did two other films. One was our uh, one of our most favorite episodes of this podcast, and the other is the one you're clearly having trouble remembering. And quite frankly, I don't blame you, even though it is based on a video game. Oh, in Prince Persia. Yes. There we go. He is. That's in what Prince. I needed. That's a yeah. clue I needed. <laughs> that's that's the way I was saving that one because I knew that would probably give it to you. So, yeah, he was in uh, Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time, where he played Nizam. Uh, he's also in the movie Hugo that Asa Butterfield was in playing uh, real life filmmaker George Mel- Melier. I'm probably butchering that name. Sorry, French speaking people. Um, but then he is in the meantime, in the interim, he also is the narrator of the um, Darren Aronofsky film, Noah. He is in the Sasha Baron Cohen film, The Dictator, uh, his controversial turn in Iron Man 3. And then he does The Birder's Guide to Everything, A Common Man, Walking with the Enemy, all before Ender's Game in 2013. So he has a very busy 2013. Uh, but this is kind of his second big blockbuster of the year after Iron Man 3, uh, where he plays the the character whose name we've already made fun of on this episode Misa Rockham, and he plays him Australian because his father's Maori which i mean okay yeah, look it's
1: it's Ben Kingsley all right i'm not going to be upset with a Ben Kingsley doing whatever the hell he wants to do because i mean
0: well here's the thing Maori's uh, is it's the Australian New Zealand I, I think it's more specifically New Zealand area and and Ben Kingsley is historically ethnically ambiguous the man has his Oscar for playing Gandhi. He was, I believe, let me double check this before I say it and sound like an idiot. Uh, he's born in England, um, but his father is uh, Indian. Yes, is of Indian descent. Um, so he is he is of Indian heritage, but he he was born in uh, Yorkshire, England, but is, I think, eth- ethnically ambiguous enough that he's played – a lot of I mean, he's not playing Indian in Prince of Persia, right? which I we may or may not have commented on in that movie. That was back when we were doing a lot of movies where um, whitewashing was a thing. Right. Yeah, yeah. We had that whole streak early on in our run of movies which featured whitewashed characters. And it was it was like it was New Mutants. It was this. It was Gods of Egypt. There's probably another one in there that I'm forgetting because it came up a lot in those like early early episodes. I don't know why.
1: It did, yeah. I don't know why either. It just uh, coincidence, you know. Yeah,
0: sure. But yeah, so um, he he's known for kind of playing ethnically ambiguous. But then by the same token, you've got actors who are of Maori descent who probably could have played it. Are they going to have the rec- the instant gravitas of say a Ben Kingsley? No, probably not. But I mean, a good actor is a good actor, so I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I mean, look, Ben Kingsley does. if We want to talk about Harrison Ford just, you know, there for the paycheck. Ben Kingsley will do anything you ask him to do for a uh-huh. paycheck. He's, yep. he's in some of the worst movies you will ever see. He is. But he's in some of the best movies you'll ever see. It's kind Correct. of insane.
0: Yeah, if, if that, you know, the fact that we've covered two of his movies on this podcast and there are others that we will cover on this podcast at some point as well. Um is is in and of itself, I think pretty telling. Um dude does a lot of movies uh, is essentially what I'm saying. So I mean, yeah, this is not the last conversation we'll have about Ben Kingsley, but, uh, yeah, cause because we can we can get into it. i there's there's I think I counted earlier there's like two or three other movies that we could probably do of his just of his, including um he's he's in the Love Guru which is a film that we've toyed with doing before. We'll probably do at some point, maybe Um, blood rain. He's in that terrible, Uvable blood rain movie. Ugh. Uh He's in the Thunderbirds. Like he's just, he shows up in a lot of stuff and it's to the extent that, yeah, we're going to, we're going to cover some Ben Kingsley movies on this podcast. Like he's, he's going to be one that comes up a lot because again, he's, he, he does the stuff for the paycheck and usually when Ben Kingsley does stuff for the paycheck, he's he's giving you something you know, he's giving you a little juice. But
1: yeah, because he's Ben Kingsley, he's, right. he's usually the best part of those terrible movies. is the thing yeah.
0: and probably would have been the best part of Prince of Persia, if not for one Alfred Molina. Oh,
1: yeah. Dude, yeah. Good old Alfred Molina.
0: Yeah, we love him. He's the best. Always, always bringing it. But I mean, he does lend an instant air of gravitas to. This film, like when he comes in, you're like, Oh, oh, Ben Kings is here. Who is this? And he's playing a rather enigmatic figure, similar to the kind of role he played in Iron Man 3. The move, the name of that movie just completely escaped my head. Um, he's kind of playing a similarly enigmatic figure in Iron Man 3, at least for the first half of that movie. Um, like, so he's you're kind of like, Oh, what's this zone that he's in? except he never kind of breaks out of that in this, in this movie. He's always, he kind of remains in that enigmatic role until the veneer drops in those final moments. When you realize that this is not a game, this is real life. Uh, that, that kind of weird late third act twist. Cause it's, we're deep in the third act before they pull that one out on us.
1: Yeah. Which I already knew from, sure. I did remember that from the book, but, and isn't that always the weird thing? Like, you have to. You almost wonder if they're gonna do a twist like that because the book has been out for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, tons of people have read it. They're expecting the twist. Right. So, so I guess it almost works in its favor that you're like, okay, is is the twist? Are they gonna do the twist the same way? Are they gonna do the twist
0: differently? They do it a little differently because, from what I understand, what I read of the of the book, and again, I have not read the book, but what I read about the book is that he has become so disillusioned with command school that he's trying to get expelled. And so he ends up throwing this bizarre, terrible Hail Mary pass, not to win, not to get into a point where he can, uh, you know, complete the mission, but just to screw it up so badly that they'll kick him out. Okay, Is, is, is what I read in the Wikipedia plot synopsis for this, for the book. And then he's really taken aback when he hears all of the, kind of in a reversal of this movie is really taken aback when he hears all the commanders cheering from the, from the, the booth up above um, because he had been trying to basically fuck it over. Uh, and then in reality, he's just won the war by committing the genocide.
1: Right. Okay. So it's slightly different then. Yeah. You know, I mean, different instead of the really I mean, uh, weird, the really weird, like I'm going to resign. And then all of a sudden he's on a beach somewhere. How long has he been on that beach? It's undetermined. Uh, Question mark? Yeah, like they make it they make it really clear that like he's trying to run away from this whole thing, but they don't tell you how long he's been there.
0: Right. I mean, he hasn't aged that much, so no, it can't can't been that long.
1: long, No, but it feels like it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. because you know they have to go grab his sister to convince him to come back. Right. Which almost feels out of character for his sister, because his sister's supposed to be the compassionate one. You think he would be more on Ender's side. The uh, siblings
0: are really underserved in this movie, because they play yeah, they, a much larger role in the book, don't
1: they? They, did, they do, yeah. They play a huge role in the book, from what I remember. Uh, so I...
0: Like, basically, yeah. they start writing the, the future Earth version of the Federalist Papers, right? And, like, his sociopathic brother's trying to be, like, president or something?
1: Yeah, something like that. They have like alter egos and like pen names or something. And yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah.
0: And that it's just like this kind of layer of geopolitical stuff that again, that's the kind of stuff that I can geek out about in a movie like it shows up and I'm kind of like, this is kind of cool I like this. Um, But then they just take that out and they're like, oh, we can't put that on screen. That doesn't work. And I'm like, but that's what I want to see. Like, but, you know, they're they're pitching to, you know, the guys who love the, uh, you know, the bang bang explosions, but you cast Abigail Breslin in this movie and then you waste her. I'm Academy Award nominee, Abigail Breslin, uh, and then just don't do anything with her for this movie. Like she just exists to go, come on, Ender. Like and that's 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 her narrative arc in this movie. Come on, Ender. Pretty much. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But and like this, this movie is less than two hours. You totally could have threw in some more stuff for her to do. Yeah, wouldn't have been hard. No, like, not sure. At all. I get it. It's it's supposed to be a big sci fi blockbuster movie based on you know a popular older book, and you want to have all the pew pews that you can.
0: Exactly maximize the pew pew. That's that's what's going to get the butts in the seats. Or in this case, maybe not. Yeah,
1: maybe because. Uh, Maybe people, I don't know. This came out in twenty thirteen. I can't really speak to if there was a lot of similar things out around this time.
0: Oh, we'll, 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 we'll talk about it.
1: Okay, so maybe so to that point, maybe people were tired of the pew pew sci fi movie. Who knows? Uh, maybe, but,
0: maybe they were tired of the the YA thing. And, and again, it had been by this point, it had been fairly played.
1: Also, that 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 bubble definitely burst just as fast as it was created Mm mm-hmm because hollywood gonna hollywood hollywood gonna hollywood so let's jump on this ya bandwagon and make just a bunch of shitty movies
0: like Mm -hmm. so many so many
1: like to a surprising extent like hunger games was successful twilight was successful and just about everything else failed
0: right yeah and spectacular Uh, it's harry potter it's twilight it's um uh it's hunger games and that's it
1: well Harry Potter was pretty well established before the Y a boom and it just sort of it sort of rode the wave that appeared while it was like mid
0: Oh you you might even say it created the YA boom. It could have yeah it took a few years I think when did the first Harry Potter movie come out? The first Harry Potter film yeah uh, that was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or as we Americans call it the Sorcerer's Stone. that's 2001. So that's the year I graduated high school the first harry Potter novel
1: Oh, well before that
0: was i'm looking it up right now wait for it wait for it no i don't want the movie you mook um ba, 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 ba. you're gonna make me click on the wikipedia article 1997 so not that far four years four years it's not i mean that's not it's not that much but yeah
1: so okay yeah i mean okay yeah you're you're right it's not that much it, it could it could potentially be blamed for the YA boom. Yeah,
0: you're not wrong. Um, but I mean, yeah, you're um, point taken. Like that, that is, again, it's kind of all the rage. And it's here's the thing we could do probably two months worth of YA adaptations that ultimately failed to snag because there was a time when everybody in Hollywood was grabbing up these YA properties and trying to make them. Um, another one that was weirdly successful that no one thinks about or talks about, it's like a franchise that doesn't exist, The Maze Runner.
1: Yeah, I was going to say what's weird is I don't think we can cover a lot of them because a lot of them actually got at least one sequel.
0: Here's here. we There are several that we can cover. Uh, we can cover. Uh, I know I am number four. We can cover the fifth wave. I know we can cover. Uh, we can cover a series of unfortunate events, which kind of fits in that fits that criteria as well. Um, the Jim Carrey one, not the Neil Patrick Harris TV show. Alex Ryder Stormbreaker. We can cover. So there's four right there. That's enough for a month. The Seeker, the Dark is Rising, we can cover. The Golden Compass, we can cover. I mean, there are there's there's six. Maybe just the ones
1: that I'm familiar with all got sequels because I don't know half of those.
0: Uh, Spiderwick Chronicles, we can cover. Inkart, we can cover. Although Inkheart, I don't know if that was based on a book or not. Spiderwick Chronicles, though, definitely was. Cirque du Freak, the Vampire's Assistant, we can cover. Like there's there there's 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 our two months right there like cool proven wrong thank you Appreciate no, pr- it. No. <laughs> no problem buddy not not so much trying to prove you wrong is just let you know like there's there's and there's probably more i'm not thinking of legends of the guardians the Isles of gahool probably fits in that camp as well like they just kept trying to put these movies out to try to capitalize on the harry potter boom and then the the subsequent little mini booms that came up out of the hunger games and twilight i not fair to call twilight a mini boom but compared to harry potter everything's kind of a mini boom, but I mean, lots of opportunities for these kinds of films to be made. Lots of these films were made. Seventh son vampire Academy. Uh, honestly, miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children probably fits this criteria to some degree as well. Beautiful creatures. Like there's, there's, there's a lot. I'm gonna stop looking at this list now. Otherwise is is just, this episode is just going to be me listing shit.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. And it's very much already like stop, stop. He's already dead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just showing this. This was like, and again, this is the thing that Hollywood does. Here's a thing that's very successful, and, and it's something that we've we've hit on on this podcast before, and we will come back to it. Hollywood sees a thing that's working for someone and they say, shit, we need to be doing that, too. And so the next thing you know, everyone's trying to do the thing and doing it badly because they don't understand what makes the first thing work as well as it is.
1: Oh, yeah. That's, that's, that, that, again, is just Hollywood being Hollywood. Right. Hollywood doing its thing.
0: Hollywood gone to Hollywood.
1: From Hawaii to superheroes to uh, horror Um, to any other genre you could think of to sci-fi fantasy yeah anything that hits that hollywood tries to capital then thusly capitalize on fails to understand why the original succeeded to begin with
0: exactly and it's it becomes kind of one of those your mileage may vary things based on how how much you're willing to buy in to the larger conceit and or how good those movies ultimately end up being because so many of them seem to be cheap cash grabs from studios that, again, aren't willing to invest the time and energy to consider why these things were popular in the zeitgeist to begin with. It's just, oh, kids like that YA crap? I don't know. Buy the rights to one of these books and just film it. I don't care. Yeah,
1: it's completely out of touch. But yeah. it, and Hollywood is also just a bunch of old white guys most of the time. So Correct. of course it's out
0: of touch. Exactly. Yeah, that's they, they invented out of touch, really. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, yeah, that that's... Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a there's a lot more fodder in this, this YA um, in this YA thing that we can we can easily cover and, and try to try to milk try to milk that for maybe a few theme months. Maybe we'll do like three years with just a month for the ne- one month, a year for the next three years. Just do a YA month. Yeah, we could totally do that. Listeners, do you want to hear that or do you want nothing to do with it? Let us know. DisenfrenchPod at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Let us know. But yeah, so uh there was something else I wanted to bring up and I don't remember what it was, so it can't have been that important. No, probably not. So yeah. Um anything else you have to say about Ender's game, the 2013 film.
1: Uh no. Which it may surprise you that a game like this or not a game, sorry, it's one I'm about to talk about. A movie like this you think would lend itself well to having a video game adaptation in all the years that it's been around. Yeah. Uh no. Really? No. That is a little surprising. They were trying to develop one in 2008 and it never got published. uh, Never got finished. Uh, So no, you might've been expecting a Brett's video game corner for this movie. There isn't one. I'm sorry. Damn. It's really kind of weird. That is totally could have adapted this to a video game and they never have.
0: It feels like doing it right around the time the movie came out would have been perfect too.
1: Yeah. And I mean, maybe, you know, maybe there's a listener out there that knows of a more obscure adaptation tucker i'm talking to you Uh, (laughs) i was
0: gonna say you must be talking to tucker
1: (laughs) yeah uh he he managed to scrounge up an old barely anybody knows about halloween video game yeah um that that wasn't even
0: officially released have you Uh, played that yet by the way
1: no how how would i have played that game i don't know got released on like online emulators yeah the, the old pcs that nobody has anymore uh it was it didn't even have a real label. Nobody barely played it when it came out. I don't think there's any emulators out there, man. Uh, no, nobody knows about that game at all.
0: Tucker, get get Brett's hands on this game.
1: Uh, I one, don't know if I want to play it is the thing. It, it, it doesn't look good. Uh,
0: right. Touche. Uh, one one last thing I do want to say is that the director of this film, Gavin Hood, uh, had gained prominence in Hollywood a few years before. Uh, For directing another movie, we will probably cover on this podcast. If not this podcast, maybe another podcast. Wink. Um, It's uh, X-Men Origins colon Wolverine, which was supposed to kick off a whole X-Men Origins franchise, but didn't. Instead, it ended up kicking off a weird Wolverine franchise, which none of those movies have anything to do with the one that came out before it.
1: No, but it did give a slogan, which is an amazing film. Yeah, Logan's pretty good. And also a pretty decent video game.
0: No, oh, I which I have not played because surprise, Stephen hasn't played a video game.
1: Oh, yeah, no, that's that's kind of you almost don't even have to say it
0: anymore. It's kind of you, know. it goes without saying at this point. I mean, sure, sure, sure. Um, But yeah, so there's our uh, there's our episode on Ender's Game. Uh, David, we hope we did it justice for you. We hope you are happy with how it turned out. But yeah, that, that's that's what we think about Ender's Game. Um, let's talk a little bit about the box office for Ender's Game. It opens on November 1st, 2013. It opens at number one at the box office, grossing $33.8 million in its opening weekend. Uh, number two, down from number one the week before in its second week, is Jackass Presents colon, Bad Grandpa. What if there was a bad grandpa? Yikes. In that vein, in third place, also opening this week, is uh, the movie Last Vegas. Uh, where a bunch of old guys go to Las Vegas uh, for for one last heist or one last ride or one last attempt to gamble and sleep with hookers. I don't know what Las Vegas is about uh, in fourth place. Also new this week is uh, the movie Free Birds, uh, a movie uh, where their creator says it was not intended to spawn for, uh, to spawn sequels, but, quote, we could if people want them. Uh, so I don't know whether or not we cover that one on this podcast at some point. Seems like it'd be a really good Thanksgiving episode for us, though. Maybe, maybe. Um, and then in fifth place, uh, a, an eventual Academy Award winner. It's uh, and also a really fantastic film. Uh, it's Gravity. Have you seen Gravity, Brad? I have not seen Gravity. It's freaking good. Uh, I mean, if you like uh, Sandra Bullock uh, floating around in space, you will love Gravity. And also George Clooney's there for a little bit.
1: I mean, I love gravity as a scientific concept. You might like it just based on that. I mean, I, uh, I, like, yeah. I like the gravity keeps me on Earth.
0: Sure. By this I'll point, gravity away. has earned in its in five weeks has earned uh, $222.7 million.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, that was Steven not having any of my shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um <laughs> Uh, rounding out the top 10, we've got a few Academy Award contenders, including that year's best picture winner in sixth place. We've got Captain Phillips and seventh, the eventual Academy Award winner, 12 years a slave, uh, in eighth place, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Is that the sequel or is that the original cloudy with a chance of meatballs? That is the sequel, cloudy with a chance of meatballs Two, which was the first of the cloudy with a chance of meatballs movies I saw. So I didn't really, really I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. I saw it in theaters.
1: No, oh, because wow. the first one, honestly, pretty good.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a Lord Miller movie. Of course it is. Yeah. Um, but in the, uh, ninth place, The Counselor. And then in 10th place, a movie we might cover on this podcast one day. Uh, it's the uh, Chloe Grace Moritz remake of Carrie.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't think that's a might. I think that's an absolutely we'll cool cover. To... Fuck yeah.
0: OK, then. All right, Brett, you, you heard it here first, folks. We I, I know at one point you and I were questioning it, but I guess that we are no longer questioning that. And I am no, I... OK with that.
1: Well, yeah, because like, look, the original movie got sequels, didn't it? Or the yeah, book the got orig- sequels? The, the, of- no,
0: the movie. The book didn't. The movie did. Is like car- the rage colon Carrie 2. Right. Um, so and there, then there's they, precedent, which is enough yeah. for
1: me to say, yeah, we can cover it. Sweet.
0: Love it. Um, this movie earned. Uh, so it earned, opens at 66 or owns it opens at 33. Earns a total of sixty one point seven million at the domestic box office, so not a good multiplier
1: at all. No, I think that that leads to what I said earlier about like the word of mouth about how how bad quote unquote this adaptation was to fans yeah. of the original really got out and really just hamstrung this movie.
0: Yeah, and it I mean it it goes from twenty seven or yeah it grows down g- grosses another ten million the next weekend six the following then two then one and then we're in the hundreds of thousands until it's out of the box office after week 10 like it just doesn't stick around doesn't do much um and is is out pretty quickly uh, unfortunately after that um the international box office not much better honestly it's 66 million in international so it's only earning um around 128 million worldwide Uh, which is just, I mean, it's, it's tough to build a franchise off of a movie that performs that, that poorly. Uh, one of the funny things and I mentioned this to you before we started recording in that interview, uh, that he does with wired, which I will probably have to link to in the show notes for this episode. Um, the interviewer says something to him about how, um, how this is likely to open up a lot of doors for him going forward in terms of, uh, things that he would be able to, to do, um, And, you know, he's still at that point, he was still working on a sequel to the Ender's Game series. Um, He says, in terms of film, Ender's Game is actually the beginning, not the end. No one will touch anything else of mine until they see how Ender's Game does. Unless the film absolutely tanks, which I'm not expecting, then the floodgates could open. I could have a dozen books that are much or I probably have a dozen books that are much, much more doable on film than Ender's Game. And now we'll never know what they are. Uh, Honestly, I think the controversy surrounding Orson Scott Card is another kind of nail in the coffin for this adaptation as well, if I'm being real honest.
1: I think it is, too. I think people were willing to give it the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. opening weekend, uh, at least. So I I think it's really a one-two punch, right? Right. Opening weekend, you have the Ender's Game fans that are just like, we're going to go see this adaptation. It looks pretty good while everybody else is just sort of sitting out like we don't really like this guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the Ender's Game fans go, this is a terrible adaptation. We hate it. And then that, combined with the bad publicity, just tanks it completely.
0: Right. And, and we end up where we are with this movie, which is us talking about it on a podcast. Yep. Uh, the Tomatometer score is 62%. Critics' consensus, if it isn't quite as thought-provoking as the book, Ender's Game still manages to offer a commendable number of well-acted, solidly written sci-fi thrills, which i don't necessarily disagree with really but you know uh the there is no meta score for this movie but the uh letterbox score for this one is as soon as my page loads i will tell you a 2.7 and brett where do you ultimately land on gavin hood's 2013 enders game
1: So I know I mentioned before about how it's just sort of a movie that exists, and you would think that that's just a 2.5, which is dead in the middle. But for some reason, 2.5 always seems like a low score to me. So I always consider 3 to be more of the in the middle, even though it literally isn't. Okay. Uh, (laughs) um, I don't know. It's just how my brain works. Sure. Uh, So I gave gave it 3.
0: Whereas I I did put it right smack in the middle at 2.5. Um, again, it's, it's, it's not great. It's not bad. It's just, it's a movie that I watched and that's about all I can say for it. You know, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. You know, I wouldn't say that I, I really, it, it's not one that I feel like I, I need to go back to that. I like enough to go back to, but it's also not one that's bad enough that I'm just going to go out and like tear at a new one either. I just, you know, it's fine. I, I don't, it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah. I don't have a lot of good to say about it. I don't have a lot of bad to say about it. I honestly don't have a lot to say about it.
1: Now it is a movie that we watched for this podcast.
0: Correct. Uh, so we do have a letter this week from our good friend Tucker. Uh, um, Responding to our uh, Ghostbusters episode, which as of the recording of this episode is our most recent one. That's just come out. We're, we're working a couple of weeks ahead trying to keep ahead of the game. Cause you know, holidays are coming up and we like to try to to bank up a few of these so we can take so we can take some time off to, you know, spend with some people that we like. But uh, he he writes and says, boys, I thought I would have a big, long email for you. But as it turns out, I agree with basically every sentiment shared in your Ghostbusters 2016 episode. I will say that Ernie Hudson is the nicest, sweetest and most accommodating person I've ever met. I know I said that about Jeff Combs, uh, but they are both just so pleasant in person. Can't wait for unenfranchised. That theme song is a certified bop. Yes, it is. Uh, and just out of curiosity, are either of you fans of the YouTube channel Casually Comics? I don't think I know that channel, Brett. Neither do I. Uh, I'm putting it on my list right now, Tucker. So I will check that out. Um, and maybe we'll have some stuff to say about Casually Comics going forward. But thank you, as always, for the letter and the recommendation. We appreciate you. And we appreciate that you have written not just the theme song for this show, not just the theme song for our, our spooky thon, not just the theme song for this and five Chised, our Patreon exclusive show where we count down um, movies from five to one or movies and other pop cultural ephemera. I guess I shouldn't limit it to movies because it's, it's often more than movies. But you've also written the theme song for the upcoming podcast, uh, Unenfranchised, which is also dropping on our patron Patreon uh, starting this month. Because we're in December now, even though, you know, in terms of recording, we're in November. But in terms of when you're listening to this, it's December now. God, time, time, time is a thing. Ta- time keeps on slipping, slipping into the future. Uh, but yeah, so we are uh, again, we've we've been teasing this for oh, about probably about a month now. Uh, but we will be launching a brand new Patreon show on our Patreon for our five dollar end up patrons. Uh, that will basically be us covering once a month, covering, um, movies that killed franchises, long running franchises. Um, and we're going to start with our good friend, hope. And, uh, we're going to be talking about the matrix revolutions, which killed uh, effectively killed off the matrix franchise for 15 years, something like that. Yeah, 14, roughly. 12, somewhere in there. I don't know. It's a number that starts with a one and has another digit after it. Um, but anyway, it kind of, kind of killed off that franchise, Uh, She's got a lot to say about it. She handpicked it. Um, And so we've got that coming. Uh, That'll be coming up on the 19th, just in time for Christmas. And then uh, we've even got one planned with a guest for next month as well, for January. Uh, And our guest has, has agreed and we are very excited to have another returning guest uh, back on the uh, back on the Patreon. So if you guys are not subscribing, if you guys are sleeping on that Patreon, uh, now's the time to jump on. Um, I would recommend jumping on at that $5 level too. Wink. Yeah, cuz we
1: we've adjusted the prices. We got a $2 tier and a $5 tier now, but I I would also recommend the 5 just to get that sweet sweet extra good content.
0: Cuz here's the thing. If if you if you get the $5 tier, uh you get everything in the $2 tier plus the $5 tier as well. So there's there's a lot of good stuff for you to have there at that level. We recommend it. It's it's going to be a good one. So and you're not going to want to miss what promises to be uh, a great long episode with one of our favorite guests, Hope Lickner, um, coming up on the on that Patreon feed. So get in while the getting's good, kids. Um, it's it's gonna be real for real, real fun.
1: Get in, loser. We're going podcasting. Woo!
0: Um, and uh, some other things that you uh, might want to see up on our Patreon. We've got uh, our twice monthly. Um, distant five chise podcast which i mentioned before where we rank pop culture ephemera from five to one our most recent one was on the uh, was, uh top five thanksgiving dishes
1: yes delicious delicious foods discussed in length and uh divisively yeah not, not maybe not, divisively not, not, not contentious really.
0: not not contentiously i will say that not contentious. No, no, not
1: at all not but at you
0: all. know we have some differences of opinion we rank i rank some things very high that brett ranks very low and it's okay I, I put some things on my list that Brett just does not include at all. Uh, and that's okay, too. And then there's one where we were just in complete sync on it. So, you know, yeah. such such things happen. There was, I think there was one you ranked slightly higher than me, technically. I don't know. We're, we're talking about this like everybody's heard it. If you haven't, you need to get over to our Patreon and check it out. Um, but we are still going to be giving you uh, two episodes of Dis Five Chis every month. And uh, we have not figured out what we're doing for the first December one as of the recording of this episode. So plan to be surprised when you tune in uh, here in a few days for the first of those uh, episodes to drop, because that'll be that'll be a lot of fun for you um, at any rate. Oh, no, we did decide, didn't we? Did I forget what we decided? I forgot what we decided. We have made a decision. I know what it is. It is top five Christmas songs. So here, yes. on the, so here on the Patreon, uh, stick around uh, and, and listen to Brett and I here on Sunday, this coming Sunday. If you're listening to this as of day of release, uh, it will be our top five Christmas songs. So I'd forgotten that we did in fact decide on one forgot I all about it'll that be
1: it'll be very festive mm-hmm. it. it'll be great
0: lots of jingling bells and and joys to the worlds and all things like that so um yeah so it absolutely fantastic uh make sure you stay tuned for that uh and you can also uh shoot us an email like tucker has done disenfranched pod at gmail.com uh let us know if you want us to do uh three years of annual ya lists because that's something we could totally do uh if you guys are into it if not then, hey, there are other things we can do as well. We've got some theme months planned for next year that I think will be pretty great, honestly.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this this episode you just
0: listened to was because somebody sent us an email. Correct. Correct. That's very true. So good things happen when you send disenfranchised podcast emails is, is all I'm trying to say. Um, make sure you also swing by Apple Podcasts and or your podcatcher of choice. Uh, leave us a five-star rating and review uh, don't just leave us a rating. Leave us a review as well. Five stars is great. We love it when we appreciate it. Uh, but those reviews also kind of boost the algorithm and get us kind of up on top um, as well. So uh, shoot us a, a five star rating and review. We will be eternally grateful and you will be our very best friend. You'll reach what we call friend of the show status, which only only two ways to get there. Be a guest or leave us a five star rating and review or in the case of some very special guests, both all of the above correct those are our very favorite people
1: well our very favorite people are the ones that are also patrons
0: correct and i'm there there are at least two of those so yeah there's three no two that have done all three uh yeah correct left left us a rating and a review and been a guest on the show
1: We will not call out who that third person is so as to not make them feel bad. Correct.
0: I don't want them to feel bad because they are one of our favorite people as well. Yeah, they are. So, yeah, Uh, that's all I'm going to say on the subject. Um, But please leave us a five-star rating and review. We do really, really appreciate it. Um, You can find us on social media. That's Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxed, and Facebook at Pod. And uh I am your host, Stephen Foxworth. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterbox at Chewy Walrus. Brett, where can we find you on social media these days?
1: You can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd and Instagram at sus, sus underscore warlock. Fantastic.
0: And so until next week, where we I mean, we're not doing a theme month, but we we've got a guest lined up for next week, actually. I'm very excited. Um it's it's and what promises to be a very good episode. Uh, maybe another long one, who knows? Uh, until next week, I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. Uh, for Brett Wright and myself, Ender, get off my fucking plane.